Welcome back in another edition of College Golf Talk. Steve Burkowski, Brentley Romine with you. A wonderful week down at Seminole and the Jackson T. Stevens Cup. It was a nice little drive for us home last night. And for some, they flew back to their respective campuses moments from now. We're going to have the Jackson T. Stevens Cup individual medalist, David Ford, join us. Also helped the Tar Heels win the team title. Uh, before we get rolling, as good as we've seen in a long time from a golf course and performance that, uh, you know, maybe other than NCAA championships, uh, I'd like to think Brentley it was good TV. Well, especially when you are reminded of the fact of course record shot all the way back in 1947 by Claude Harmon. Ben Hogan shot 61, I guess, what, about seven years after that. But since then, it's never been touched. Correct. Never been touched since then. So, uh, granted, they don't host a lot of tournaments, but they have the Coleman there every year. And, uh, I mean, 62, eight birdies in a row. I, I know there was no win, but I, I don't care if you're playing inside a dome. Uh, that's tough to do. And, um, yeah, just a special week. My, my uh, wallet's taking a little bit of a hit uh, shopping around in the uh, pro shop there. But uh, other than that, um, good to be home and uh, excited to – get to East Lake here in a couple weeks. Yeah, our thanks to Warren Stevens, Jimmy Dunn, Matt Cahill, everyone involved with the tournament in Seminole for putting on an absolutely first-class tournament for both the men and the women. College Golf Talk is always brought to you by Velocity Global as they seamlessly connect employers and talent, anyone, anywhere, anytime, anyhow. And its global work platform is built on cloud-based technology compliance expertise and unmatched scale in 185 countries in all 50 United States. The world of work, it is forever changed. Talent can live anywhere, work for anyone and get the job done. And more than 1,000 businesses engage top talent in another state or another country without the need to set up a foreign entity or registration. And they rely on Velocity Global to make it simple and compliant. Velocity Global, accelerating the future of work to learn more visit velocityglobal.com slash golf. And with that, about 18 hours removed, we're taping just before high noon on a Thursday from locking up a team title for the Tar Heels. David Ford, kind enough to spend some time with us this week on College Golf Talk. And we're going to get right to it, David. We talked about the 62. Obviously, to win medalist honors there is something you will never forget, but let's dive right into that second round on Monday. How would you describe the emotions, your performance, handling everything that was going along with the eight birdie stretch that Brentley talked about? Yeah, I think it was, it was definitely a learning experience for me. Um, I've never really had that many cameras on me for an entire nine holes. It felt like, um, and I was really, really nervous just because I was, uh, five, six under on hole, I guess, 13 and uh, adding the cameras in there and having a bunch more people come and watch me after they saw me make some birdies was even more nerve wracking. So I definitely learned a lot about playing with nerves um, on a hard golf course. And I'm obviously happy with how I hit the ball and uh, happy with how I put it on the back nine. So it was a it was a fun day that second round and a great learning experience. Andrew DiBattetto, your head coach at North Carolina, spoke with him yesterday morning, and he told me, among other things, when asked about your impact in Chapel Hill, and he said just a few weeks ago, you shot 61 
at the Finley course setting the all-time uh, low mark uh, on that venue. Where does your propensity of going low come from? Because in about 24, 25 rounds in the history of North Carolina men's golf, there have been rounds of 65 or better. You already have four of them. You've got about 20% and not even three semesters. Where does your ability come from that when you're four, you get to five, when you five, you get to six, et cetera? Because a lot of guys protect or can't handle that moment. Yeah, so I actually thought about this after I shot 62. I was like, why has this happened a lot in the past few months? Um, I think the biggest reason for it is I get – so excited when I'm four or five under and playing so well and everything's firing that I get so happy and everything is so positive out there. And it's like, I feel like I can't miss just because my mind is in such a good spot and I'm so happy with how I'm playing and so excited for the holes to come. So I think it's, it's a combination of a lot of things, but ultimately it's being in the right headspace um, and being so positive and happy on the golf course when I am feeling good about my golf game and starting to make some birdies early in the round. A lot of TV time for you, David, this week. And I, I noticed something that you do after you make every putt, kind of point to the sky. Sometimes it's both fingers. Sometimes it's one. It's kind of a cool little Steph Curry making a three and turning around, you know, kind of making that gesture. How long have you been doing that? And could you explain, you know, why you do that after every putt? Yeah, I, I think I've been doing it for about two years now. Um, my faith is really important to me. Um, I'm Christian. And uh, ever since, I guess, two years ago, I started uh, reminding myself of what truly matters on the golf course. Um, I got I had some some publicity and some fame, I guess, summer of 2020. Um, and it kind of overwhelmed me a little bit in some spots. And I had to kind of remind myself of what where my true identity is. Um, and it's in Christ. And every time I make a putt or every time I hit a good shot, I want to remind myself that no good shot or bad shot can ever change who I am and change my identity. So kind of just humbling myself and reminding who I truly am uh, when I point up to the sky and remember that uh, I'm made in God's image and that I'm God's above all else. Um, and that kind of calms me down for the future shots. Um, and I think it's just, it's who I truly am. And that's kind of what I want to show to the world. And do you give it a little extra emphasis though, when you, when you make a 50 footer as compared to a little tap in for bogey? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I, when I, when I four putted on 16, I, I made sure to, to give a nice praise to the Lord for that last one. Cause I was really nervous. Um, so I don't, I don't really know. It kind of just, it kind of just comes. And I, I remember to do it just to praise him. Mm -hmm. I was looking at your bio and, and you said one of the books, I don't know if it was your favorite book or, a book that you had read recently, but Putting Out of Your Mind by Bob Rotella. Uh, what's kind of your biggest takeaway from from that book? Because I would think everyone would agree that you were maybe ball striking out of your mind, but also putting out of your mind this week, especially in round two. Yeah, I think it's that's a that's the biggest book for my golf game. Um, it's the most helpful book. It's it's kind of the biggest help for my mental game also. So. I realized in summer of 2020 that I was winning golf tournaments, but I was just winning it because I was hitting it so good. Um, I was hitting it great that summer when I was in junior golf. And I was like, man, if I could just putt, I, I would win by more than just two shots. Um, so I started reading that book and I realized that putting is 90% mental for me. 
or at least 90% mental. I mean, that's why I always put so great in match play. I feel like, cause I can, I'm not worried about making the comebacker. Um, so it kind of just, that book is all about freeing your mind. And Bob Rotella talks a lot about just at the moment of truth, you have to free your mind and focus on what, what matters and what you can control. And that's something that uh, I've taken a lot from just over the years. I read it anytime I'm putting poorly and it's something I can always fall back on. Uh, it, sometimes it even works better than physical practice. We're going Brentley with you on College Golf Talk. Thrilled to have David Ford from North Carolina, the sophomore, join us fresh off his individual and team title at the Jackson T. Stevens Cup. Now, David, you've been part of this team for almost three semesters. So I preface it by saying you've seen some of it and I'm sure coaches shared it. But the last couple of years at ACC's, Dominant in stroke play, don't get the job done in match play. Last two years at NCAAs, make it to match play, you're out quickly. How important was yesterday to sort of see it through on the back end? You won by a couple of dozen shots in stroke play, but if you don't get the job done in match play, it's kind of all for naught. So what was the message from coach to actually see this one through on the back end? Uh, and what does it do for the team moving forward? Yeah, I think it's a it's a huge momentum builder. I mean, as soon as we won, I talked to Greaser and said, we finally won a match play event. We finally pulled through after. I mean, this was his first win. This was his first team win, and he's been on the team for four years. So to finally do it, it feels amazing. I know it feels even better for the guys that are older than me that have never uh, been a part of it. But I think we all know how great we are at stroke play, and we all know how great we are at match play. Um, it, there's, there were certain instances in the past few years, or at least uh, when I was a part of the team where we didn't stick to our game plan in match play. Um, and it was, it was kind of hard to, to bounce back after such, playing so well in stroke play. Um, it, was, it was hard to keep that momentum going. So I think this was a, a huge learning experience for all of us individually, just to stick to our game plans. Because um, I think even though me and Peter lost our matches, we, we both played great. Um, I think I shot seven under and I don't know what Pete shot, but he was, I don't know if he lost, he might've had his match. Um, so we all, we all played great and it gives us huge confidence going forward. But I think more than anything, we know how good of a match play team we are. We kind of just had to wait for the wins to come. I think it was an all hair match between you and Luke Clanton from Florida state. Uh, I would argue that you have better <laughs> hair. Uh, his is a little <laughs> bit uh, out of control, but uh Anyways, to get back on topic. No, no, no. Let, let me interject, Brentley. See, David, you're young. When you get to our age, Brentley, early 30s, and I've clipped him by a good bit, we, we are envious of a lot locks of hair and a lot of hair. So when we see that, uh, take that with very uh, good pride that, hey, you know what? One day it might not be there, so just enjoy it. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate I think that. it'll be there. I think it'll be there for a long time. But uh, anyways, getting back, <laughs> getting back on topic, uh, Burko, uh, Walker Cup uh, is next year at St. Andrews at the old course. I know you're just a sophomore, um, so you're probably firmly on the radar now. I, I just I'm curious if that's something that's on your mind already and uh, if you had any chance to catch up with the U.S. captain, Mike McCoy, who was out there watching it. Yeah, I saw him out there this week, some at Seminole. I think he's a member there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and 
I saw him out there and I had dinner with him at, I think it was Western Am. Um, me, him, uh, and a few other guys and my parents had dinner. Um, so it was good to catch up with him there, but it's definitely been on my mind and I've gotten to know him a little bit. He seems like a great guy. And um, my parents and I agree that he is a perfect fit for uh, Walker Cup captain. But as of right now, I mean, I'd like to say that I've, I haven't thought about it and I'm just focusing on the next tournament, but I really, really want to play in the Walker Cup. I think every every person does. And um, we have a lot of donors that have already, or a, a lot of important people to our program that have reached out and said that they're going to be at St. Andrews um, and they want, they want to see Tar Heels there. So um, I want to be there very, very badly. But um, I think all I can do is just keep focusing on my golf game and getting better every day and uh, the cards will fall how they will. Mm-hmm. This this lineup is is so deep for you guys, but I really feel like getting Dylan Minetti from Pepperdine to transfer. I, I don't want to say it was a missing piece, uh, but it definitely uh, pushes you guys above, in my opinion, every other team in the country, maybe with the exception of Vanderbilt. I'm just curious to what's been your impression of how Dylan has acclimated himself into this program. I mean, you guys are very close. I know that Ryan Burnett has kind of taken Dylan under his wing and those two have really gelled. Um, but what's it been like having Dylan around and uh, what, what does he bring to this team? Yeah, he, um, I think it's, it's really hard coming all the way across the country and going to a school where, you know, nobody, um, but you're already a senior. So that's, I, I can't imagine how difficult it is for just to transfer from schools, but he has taken it, very well um just the academic side of everything the social side of everything he's done great um, with that aspect and then uh within the team he's amazing he works really really hard um he sets a good example for schoolwork. i mean he does he does he does things the right way um and when we're traveling with him he's really fun to travel with he'll be looking at his phone and just start laughing randomly and we're like why is he why is he laughing but it's it's amazing to have him on the team. He fits, he fits really well with all of us. He's one of us. Um, we feel like he's a great match play player and a really, really good stroke play player. Um, so he's, he is the perfect fit. He's an awesome player and an awesome dude. And he plays fast. Oh yeah. Very fast. He is, he's very fast even in practice rounds. That's what I've learned. He walks ahead and we gotta, we gotta make sure we don't hit him, but we like that. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a learning experience and adjustment for everybody, but it's, it's been awesome. Speaking of a learning experience, Coach uh, Andrew DiBattetto telling me yesterday, you guys are very close-knit, will have meetings where there are no filters. You can share whatever you need to. So when you take a look at this fall in about a six-week span, preseason one or 1A, however you want to look at it, maybe you guys fell in love with the clippings. He screenshots the entire team Vanderbilt's performance in 2022 and said, you know what, they're better than us. Think about it. What kind of impact did that have on you guys, the struggles at Olympia Fields, Austin Greaser challenging those that didn't like the fact that there wasn't going to be qualified and said, come take my spot. How has this six or eight weeks of peaks and valleys hopefully prepared you for May come Greyhawk to win it all? Yeah, I think it's made us a lot better. And I'm I'm really, really glad that we played poorly the first two events instead of the last two. Um, and 
like you said, we didn't play well at Olympia Fields, but we we bounced back nicely at Colonial and Seminole. Um, I think those talks that we had, those, I guess, three, four team meetings of just speaking our minds and just laying it out all on the line, like whatever you got to say, say it. Um, that was amazing for us, and it brought us closer um, and made us realize who guys truly were and truly wanted. Um, and I think it's been an, an awesome an awesome thing to watch to see Greaser uh, give up his spot and kind of lead that way because it made a lot of guys pissed off when they didn't beat him. Um, and they, they went back and worked harder. Um, so it made everybody better when Greaser gave up his spot and it, it led to a lot of conversations between me, me and Dylan about team practices and how we are motivated guys and how we should be motivated by other guys and, um, it's it's been a really good learning experience just all across the board for all of us. David Ford, congrats once again. Individual title, part of a team victory at Seminole for the North Carolina Tar Heels. I know you've got school, you've got practice, but uh, join us for a little bit, uh, 24 hours removed from it all. Um, can't thank you enough. Enjoy the rest of the fall and look forward to watching you guys the rest of the way through. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. David Ford, awfully impressive, Brentley, what we saw from him and the Tar Heels in uh, the Jackson T. Stevens Cup. A lot of fun. And as we take a, a spin forward of our uh, reflections and reactions to, to what we saw, I like how this team is built. I was bullish on them a year ago. Maybe I was a year early. Um, I'd love right now to see them and Vandy. Those are two clear in my opinion at a different level although there's a ton of parity right behind it but I think David said it perfectly you want to play poorly and then play better as opposed to the opposite um they're they're a must-watch team <laughs> there's no other way to to go around it uh, they've got five as good as anyone in the land yeah I think you have to give them the edge right now over Vanderbilt just because they have that head-to-head -head at Colonial where they beat them by I don't have the number in front of me, but they beat them pretty handily. And you look at what North Carolina had done in match play events, and David Ford talked about it. They were 0-4 when you consider the last two ACC championships where they won stroke play both times and then lose in the semifinals, and 0-2 at the NCAA championship, bowing out in the quarters each of the past two seasons. So I said this last night on post game. this was a lot bigger deal than just playing really well at Seminole and winning the stroke play and then winning one match. This was kind of getting over that hump. And I know it's October, but those little things all add up at the end. And I just think that the complete performance you had, the 62 by David Ford, I know that when they arrived back in Chapel Hill last night, there was a lot to be proud of. And I, I don't think I mean, it's golf, right? There's going to be things that you can improve on. There's going to be things that eat at you, especially if you're an elite player. But I think they, I think they're still smiling right now. And um, I, I'm interested to hear the the Austin Greaser story because I, I heard a little bit of it. But um, could could you explain that just a, a little bit more? Because when I heard it, I was like, wow, like that's that's pretty cool. I mean, you, you don't really get an inside look at some of these programs like that. And to hear that, that just kind of blew my mind. 
Well, and that's where we're fortunate that coaches like uh, Andrew DiBetetto and others share stories with you and me that, to put some perspective. So I'll try to sum it up. They played poorly at Olympia Fields, finished 11, fell in love with the press clippings a little bit. Hey, man, we're, you know, we're, we're the best team in the country or, you know, the second best team in the country. I and... wonder what press, clip, press clippings are talking about. I think oh. they're uh, paying attention to the preseason rankings and college golf talk? Or... Uh, I'm thinking so. So, so Andrew, as a head coach, was in, a, was in a pickle, if you will. Gosh, these are my five guys. I believe they've got a really bad taste in their mouth. He wavered back and forth. Did we open it up to qualifying? And he ultimately said, you know what? I want them to get the bad taste out of their mouth as quickly as possible. Told the team, these five are going out next event. There were some rumblings. Those on the bench saying, well, you just played poorly. Why don't we get a chance? And Austin Greaser stood up, said, you want my spot? I'll be on the first tee tomorrow. Come get it. That's wow. simple. And he told Andrew, um, this is going to make them better. This is going to make me better. And it's going to make our team better. And it was just validated by what David Ford said. So he could have lost the spot. But he had that much confidence. Bigger picture. You know, this isn't a win in October. This is long-term, how do you set this team up to succeed? So, you know, I was able to craft that little narrative in there late in the day to get a perspective of the inner workings of North Carolina. So I appreciate Andrew sharing that with me. And, you know, I think it's, that's how you win championships, whether they win or not, you got to be all in, you got to have tough love. You got to be able to call people out and you got to be able to support them, you know, when things aren't going well. And, and right now that's where they are. And, they got the job done against a very good Florida State team that I think let's keep an eye on them with those three juniors that were part of a number one team in the country at 1.2 years ago when John Pack and Vincent Norman led the way. There's value there. Luke Clanton proved there's value in great freshmen getting the job done. I'm intrigued to watch them throughout uh, the rest of the spring because that was their fourth and final fall event. Certainly a team to keep an eye on. I know we could go deep into the men. I've got to pivot to the women because I don't want to cheat them on this episode of College Golf Talk because we had Stanford. We had Wake Forest, the two best teams in the country, in my opinion, and the opinion of many others. I think we'd all sign on the dotted line to see that at Greyhawk in six months. And I think Stanford sort of said, Yep, you're going to have to go through us to get it done because it was extremely impressive what they uh, were able to do. And there's multiple ways you can look at this, right? Because Wake Forest did win the 54-hole stroke play competition by six shots. They shot 19 under. Rachel Keene was the individual medalist. She played beautifully, shot 10 under in three rounds around Seminole, which is uh, – that's that's great playing. And But then the other way you look at it is – you know, the NCAA championship, the NCAA title is decided by match play. So if this scenario played out and Wake Forest somehow gets that top seed at Greyhawk, makes it in to the final round of stroke play for the first time after missing the 54-hole cut each of the past two seasons, just because you get the number one seed, you got to win three matches, right? And so Stanford kind of proved that, hey, we can kind of regroup after not playing our best and I say not playing our best they still shot 13 under I think they had every player in the top 20 and Rachel Heck shot a closing five under 67 bogey free to finish t3 which was 
her best finish since last March, but to be able to regroup and come out in what I thought was a pretty dominating performance in match play. Megagane jumped on Rachel Keene, which I know that we're probably going to touch on the pairings here a little bit later in the episode. Um, but it was a little close at, at the beginning, but I think probably about midway through the front nine, there was a lot of red on that scoreboard. And other than Sadie Engelman losing to Mimi Rhodes, this was a complete match play performance. And I think Stanford, even though they spin a second in the stroke play, they're going to have a lot of confidence moving forward out of this because if you're talking about perfect season, that, that 54 hole stroke play, it counts for rankings, but it doesn't really count. So they're, they're two and oh, I guess three and oh, if you want to count the big match against Cal, uh, but they're, they're two and oh so far. So that perfect season still alive. Yeah. I, Kudos to, to Wake. They won stroke play. That's not a win in my book. I know some schools say it is. It's not a win. They didn't win the tournament. That's just my little They don't have the trophy. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and we talked about it. They're both great teams. The amateur rankings back it up their success. Um, I think Stanford embraces the fact that everyone's gunning for them. And it's the only time in the regular season, fall or spring, these two teams will go up against each other. I got the sense that Wake wanted Stanford a little bit more than Stanford wanted Wake. And I'm not going to say it backfired, but I think it is that internal, we want it. We are sick of hearing of Stanford. It's our one chance. And I don't Stanford, to me, is the great big bully right now. Here we are. Come and get us. We respect you. We think you're good. Uh, I'm not saying they're going perfect. I, I would we say last week you thought they'd lose. I said they'd win just to take the other side of it. Um, they're a better team than they were a year ago, and they won the national championship. That's a tough ask for anyone to take them down. Yeah, and it, it's interesting talking to Ann Walker throughout the week and kind of hearing what she said maybe on Sunday or Monday compared to after it was all over. But something stood out, and it's clear that Stanford – while Wake might have wanted them more, I think Stanford, if, if they look kind of across the aisle from them, you know, Wake is first in line, and I think they know that. And so it really stood out to me toward the end of the broadcast when Ann Walker said two, two different words uh, kind of speaking about Wake. One was, wow, like they're an incredible team. And then she also called them exceptional. So that's, that's some pretty high praise for your competition. So I think I mean, Stanford has gotten a good look at Wake these past few days. I don't think they're ever going to underestimate them. I do think that when you look at the matchups, and we talked about it, I think, on our preseason show, but the only way I see Wake having a shot at upending Stanford is if they do get the right matchups. And if you look at it, they essentially, one through five, each team stacked up their players against the other in order. So you can kind of interchange the top three on each because all six of those players are ranked inside the top 26 of the world amateur rankings. But Stanford getting their, I, I say their worst player, but their their lowest rank or their highest rank, however you want to call it, Sadie Engelman against Wake's worst player, Mimi Rhodes, and then having Brooks say play Lauren Walsh. I think that's exactly what Ann Walker wanted. And remember, Kim Llewellyn had the chance – to throw a player out or defer in the pairings, and she chose to put Rachel Keene out there. So I think that 
in terms of talking about learning from mistakes and it's hard to call it a mistake because any one of those players can beat anyone on any given day. They're all good, but you always want to defer because you always want to, I mean, you don't know if Dan Walker is going to throw out Megagane first. I mean, maybe she is, but then you can kind of pick and choose. Maybe Lauren Walsh has had success against her in the Curtis cup or, you know, in some other match or something like that. So I just, you always defer, you know, uh, and, and uh, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's just maybe they weren't thinking about it, but I, I just think that if she's in that situation again, I don't think that she's going to throw a player out first. Yeah. You can overanalyze it. You can put too much emphasis on it. You know, you look at the men, North Carolina, we always know Dylan Minetti will be the first off because he's lightning quick. I think sometimes, positional placement trumps any matchup. That's just my two cents. Go back to when Alabama uh, was in three straight national championship matches. You knew Bobby Wyatt was going first. He was a Dylan Minetti a, a decade ago. Great yeah. player and does not want to be stopped. And J.C. Will said, why would I put him anywhere else? I would only be doing him a disservice. So I'm starting to believe when you look at teams this talented and this deep, put them out. Put them out. Go figure it out. Matchups are nice. Bottom line, you got to make birdies. Well, you know why Bobby Wyatt ended up going out first, right? Please tell me. Well, 2012, he didn't go out first those first two matches. But because, because Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth wanted to play each other, Bobby Wyatt was supposed to be in the third match. Jay Seawall switches it around, and he unlocks Bobby Wyatt. Ooh, so for the next you. two years – well, that was just, you know, if, you know, people who read the 2012 oral history, um, yeah. that was, that was one of the things in there. One of the little mini nuggets uh, that were, that was a part of that. So uh, yeah, it's always fun doing those things because you always find out stuff that you would have never thought about, but yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, that next year in the final, when he rolled, uh, was it Charlie Danielson or, or Dietrich, one of those two guys, I mean, that was, I think he pitched in on 13 to end the match. That was pretty dominant, but. Um, you always got those fast players and we love them. And I mean, we were at the, we we're at the place to play fast these past three days. That's for sure. Yeah. It was a lot of fun down at Seminole. No doubt about it. Some other results to quickly touch on big win for Kentucky women at Medina, the Illini invite beating San Jose state, Auburn, Georgia, Oklahoma state. Maybe this is the year the wildcats make, uh, some noise as we know that they are, uh, two or three deep. Uh, in terms of really quality players, maybe there's a little something on the four and five spots that could uh, elevate them. And then the Tennessee men go to uh, Purdue, get the job done. Bryce Lewis wins. Caleb Surratt doesn't play his best. That's a couple wins now in the fall for the Vols that I think have the potential to make a little noise um, come April, May, and June. So we'll certainly uh, keep an eye on that. I know the PGA Tour U uh, rankings updated yesterday. Sam Bennett moved up one to four after playing well at the Blessings. Patrick Welsh with a big move. He uh, made the cut and, and then some uh, on the PGA Tour at Vegas, which also counts. Yeah, and look at William Mao going up six spots after a runner-up finish at Colonial. I mean, there's, there's a lot of movement. I, I think that we're going to see, I mean, look at Reed Davenport dropping for Brian Stark who entered the transfer portal last week at, at Oklahoma State. He's down one. We're going to see a lot of movement. And 
Especially it's once what we, we want to see. That's what we oh. want to see. We want to see up, down, not year one where they were fine tuning it and, you know, made the some necessary tweaks of let's go. You play poorly. You're going to drop three spots. Yeah, especially at the NCAA championship when it's weighted just a little bit more because of that strong field and look at the regional fields. I, I'm going to call it right now. We're, we're going to have some some movement. I think the first two years we haven't had anyone play their way into the top five at the NCAA championship. Um, I, I think it's going to happen this year. Uh, Fred Biondi, believe he started number one. Yep, down to five now. Year. I All the way down to five. Yeah. Travis Vick sitting there at six. We're going to see a few of these guys at East Lake in a couple weeks. Um, small field, so there might not be a ton of movement there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we looked at what Chris Goderup did a year ago when he started. You know the number, right? He started sixty, sixty-one, sixty something, sixty-one, yeah. and and made a run. Almost finished so, it in the top five. So I don't know who's going to do that this year, but we're going to have someone do it. Maybe it's, maybe it's William Maul, maybe, or maybe it's Bryce Lewis who just Could won. Who won just won his 45. He's, he's 45 right now. Might jump into the high thirties or low thirties. Um, it's going to be fun. I, I, yeah. I really love this. I love the changes. I don't know if we necessarily talked about all the changes, but opening it up to more corn Ferry tour access for these guys, six through 10, getting that conditional able to play up when, one of the top five gets a PGA tour exemption that week. I do think that this is just the beginning. I think we both agree on that. I think in the very near future, we're going to have at least one PGA tour card, maybe three PGA tour cards up for grabs. I think that's almost a necessity given the current landscape and listening to Rich Lerner talk yesterday (laughs) on golf today, because I was standing right over his shoulder as he was doing that hit playing a little field producer early in the afternoon. Uh, but he was saying, like, this is co- – college golf needs to have that notoriety in terms of, right, who's the number one draft pick? Who's the Zion Williamson? Who's the Bryce Lewis? And this is the perfect way to do that. And I think he even mentioned not only do you give them a PGA Tour card, but you give them a $2 million signing bonus too. I mean, that that would be pretty good. That would be pretty hard to say no to. I like it. Rich Lerner digging deep for us on golf today. Always good to <laughs> – have him as part of the broadcast the last few days. Uh, we're running long real quickly. We've had some fun, big football games, all-time great golf teams. Bama at Tennessee, a top-six showdown in Knoxville at Neyland Stadium. We did sort of the all-time best Alabama men's golf team. You threw some names out for all-time Tennessee. You got to start with their own Jimmy Gallagher. You know, <laughs> uh, To me, that's the standard. Five-time uh, PGA Tour winner. Ryder Cup participant taking down Seve in singles back in the early 90s. Uh, Mike Sposa, quality player back my generation, if you will. Give me a few other names you put in there for your top five. So you have David Skins, who I believe is one of only two four-time All-SEC selections. Uh, we mentioned Jim Gallagher, mentioned Mike Sposa, Stuart Smith. Uh, multiple-time All-American, Mickey Mabry, who has the most wins in Tennessee history and individually with four. Rick Lamb, who currently plays, I believe he's on the Corn Ferry Tour now. Um, Got some status there, made it to the tour a couple years ago. Yeah, and had, had that great moment at U.S. Open sectional qualifying or final qualifying a couple years ago. Ollie I made Goss, him cry. Made him cry. <laughs> you did make him cry. I, 
I forgot about that. That <laughs> you that that's the goal, right? I mean, if you don't get a couple of tears, if I don't get tears, I failed. Now you didn't get John Fields to oh. Fields to cry though. I I set myself up for that. I, I still am <laughs> in disbelief that I couldn't do it. Uh, I digress though. And Oliver Goss, God, I thought this guy was the limit for him. And it, it turned out that he's working at a uh, driving range, right? And Jacksonville area, Ponte Beach or Beach. Mm. So good. So good. But so, a quality names. If you put those five or six together, you start sitting here and looking at PGA Tour victories and, you know, four-time all-conference performers. Uh, I think we could cobble together a, a good five to uh, to roll out there for, for Tennessee. So, again, we always like to have a, have a bit of fun with that. Um, our thanks to David Ford. Heck of a week. For those that didn't know them, you know, him and how good he is. Uh, hopefully they enjoyed Seminole. And I think it's hard pressed not to say, God, did you see that kid who shot 62? Almost tied Hogan, thought about chasing down Claude Harmon's mark. So uh, for him to turn it around quickly and join us, uh, we certainly appreciate that. We appreciate all of those that tuned in to listen. We have a little fun and we'll do it again next week for Brentley. I'm Burko. Until then, take care, everyone. <laughs>